0: ecology It's more than a philosophy more than a psychology more than just an ecology bigger than biology larger than anthropology brushes against astrology that's profecology
1: So, um, Bishop Leah Daughtry said to me, she says, you know, Donna really is a preacher, but you know, she's a Catholic girl, but she would, says, if she was over here with us, she would be preaching, <laughs> and um, I can now understand what Bishop Leah Daughtry, who is a friend of ours and has spoken here a number of times. Um, if we have any questions... Um, Reflections, Uh, we take one or two from the um, audience, from the Company of Prophets, um, if anyone that would like to say something. I want to just say this. uh, This is very powerful of what you said of how the right has used their prophetic voice to impact the agenda of their communities, and I know we've seen the days of, um, I was a child, and Dr. King. Do you see the role of the black church um, as visible today as it was when our parents were in, you know, then in our parents' generation? Um, Donna? I, I, Bishop,
0: that's a great question, and, and, the, and the answer is no. Um, Jesse Jackson was very important to me in my life. And I think if we think about Reverend Jesse Jackson and his achievements, had it not been for his leadership and his inspiration that got us up back in the early 1980s to register to vote, we would not be uh, at this period of time. I mean, Reverend Jackson enabled Bill Clinton. To win, Barack Obama to win, Mm -hmm. and Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. It was Reverend Jackson who laid the foundation, built on the backs of all of those many preachers throughout the country that fought for the Voting Rights Act. It was Reverend Jackson who actually activated that Voting Rights Act that made it come alive in our lives in terms of what we could do if we had the right to vote. And we're still coming into our own. We have so much political power. And yet we don't use it. We don't use it for our communities. So what the far right has done in the evangelical community is that they have taught us that we should live within the confines of where they believe we must go. And not outside the box where we know we must go. And so why is it that every time a black person take over a major city, there's always a major crisis, and then the governor will not support that mayor, provide the resources to give back into the community? Right. When you want to build a big stadium like we have down here in New Orleans, you go to the governor and you go to the mayor and you get tax credit or tax break to get the land free. You don't have to pay taxes for the next 30 years. But yet if we wanted to build a public housing unit, or a new school, then they want you to go to the voters and get uh, approval for a tax. And so, again, they have limited our ability to use and exercise political power so that we can empower our communities. Wow. And to give back. And once again, the reason why the church is important is because the church operates on a different tax test. And the church can come in and, yes, get the land and build not just the church, the community centers and, of course, shopping centers and other places where small businesses can thrive and grow. And so we have to know how to utilize the political power that we have, the political power that we can accrue. And we cannot simply elect people who want to hold a title or a position, but they have to learn how to utilize that power. The first meeting should be with the preachers. And the preachers have to be more visible. We need more preachers. Wow. I'm old school. I admit that. Yeah. I'm an old Catholic girl. That I, know. I, I grew up with all the Baptist preachers. Yeah. I was so blessed as a child to come through at a time when Reverend Jackson and Bishop, you know, I, I had so many bishops in my life, so many preachers. And it wasn't just from the Catholic Church. I went to, I went to church every Saturday for confession and Sunday, uh, you know, yeah. after confession, you got to go right. and get yourself refreshed. Mm-hmm. My adult life, until I got into my parties, and my father, I have asked my dad, I said, I do the novenas on Friday, I go to confession on Saturday, and then I watch the saints with you and go to church on Sunday. Can I just break it up and do it one day now and not three? And my father said, no, you got to keep doing it for three days. But I hung out with the black, the, 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 the black Baptist preachers. They taught me everything I needed to know about politics and power yeah. and, and the word of God. And yes, my thirst came early to serve because I listened to those preachers. But we don't listen. I mean, how many black mayors today sit down with a group of black preachers every week? I would. Wow. I would sit down every week because, first of all, you're going to know what's going on in the community. Secondly, you're going to figure out who's doing what in the community because the the, the preachers know. The preachers know everything. They hear everything. Mm -hmm. And yet we're not doing that. And then if we want to create jobs and and we want to have our schools back, then you got to go to the church. I still hang out in the church. I go to my grandmother's church. I don't just go to my church around the corner, my Catholic church, St. Francis. I go to my grandmother's Baptist church. Mm. Because if I want to give out a scholarship, if I want to help this next generation of young people, I know where I have to go. Wow. You have to go to the black church. That's where it's happening.
1: Yeah, let's give that a hand. Um,
0: Bishop, I gotta say one other thing because you you freed me now to say this. Sure. I have watched over the last couple of weeks the attacks on Reverend Warnock in Georgia. Yeah. That's not just an attack on a, on a candidate. Right. I've seen attacks on candidates. I've been involved in enough campaigns to know what attacks look like. That is an attack on the black church. They're attacking Ebenezer. Yeah. They're attacking Dr. King's church, the yeah. ancestral home of so many black folks. Yes. And if you listen to the attacks of what his opponent is saying is communism or Marxism. No, it's Jesus. It was Jesus who talked about the poor. It was Jesus who hung out with the poor. I mean, they're attacking the church as being socialist. I'm like, what? And and where are the black preachers?
1: Right. Yes. A
0: month ago, a group of white men walked into Washington, D.C., armed, and they went and attacked black churches physically attack black churches. Proud boys. Yeah. The black church is under attack literally and figuratively, and we need to figure out how to handle this situation.
1: Wow. Let me ask you something, and as many, um, and we have, and thank God for you being who you are. How Did you keep your voice alive in politics? Because you've been in in the political community for how many years?
0: Uh, I've been involved in politics since the age of nine. I've been involved at the national level since the age of 22 when I worked on the campaign to make Martin Luther King's birthday a national holiday. Uh, I then went on to serve in Reverend Jesse Jackson, worked for Walter Mondale, so I have uh, 10 presidential campaigns under my belt, 56 congressional in House and Senate. I've served as chair of the Democratic Party twice, and I've been an officer of the Democratic Party for eight years. And so, uh, and I have helped to draft the rules along with uh, Bishop Leah Daughtry, Mignon Moore, and many others yeah. that have shaped the modern Democratic Party, that make it a more equitable party. It's not a perfect party, but remember, parties are vehicles. Uh, as I tell people, I, I joined the Democratic Party. I was not born a Democrat. I joined the Democratic Party. And I joined it to help shape it in, in ways that Fannie Lou Hamer and Shirley Shisham and Jesse Jackson and many others taught and trained me how to shape it.
1: Wow. Let's give that some respect. <laughs> what would you say would be the next steps for those of us that are listening here um, to get involved in the process now that you would recommend from from the place where you're seeing and from what leading from the future in politics could possibly look like?
0: Well, I would hope that in addition to uh, Vice President, well, let's just say President-elect and and Vice President-elect Biden and Harris, I would hope that they would convene. You know, he said... um, almost a year and a half ago that he wanted to redeem the soul of the country. Mm. Can't do that without the church. Right. Can't do that by just going to Democrats and Republicans. That's, that that bucket is too small. Mm. I only do that by bringing in men and women of faith. We have to restore faith. Our faith, we've lost our faith as Americans. We've lost our faith in each other We lost our faith in our government. We've lost our faith in the media. I mean, you name any institution in society, we no longer trust it. We don't trust each other. And so the the best way to build back better, build back stronger is to bring in those leaders, religious leaders that can provide nutrition, spiritual nutrition. This is a country that is sick. The pandemic has weakened us. But even before the pandemic, we were already skinned. Yes. We entered the 21st century, this technology. We've lost touch with one another. Greed. I mean, we, we're more consumed about how fast and high and far Wall Street has gone. And we've forgotten Main Street. There are too many people on the outskirts of hope looking down and trying to find a way back in. How many times have you traveled over the last year and a half, even before the pandemic, and you've seen men and women struggling to make ends meet? Yes. I mean, right from, from when I walk out of my door, past the old slave house, I decided when I bought a place here in Louisiana, I said I'm gonna I'm gonna buy the auction house, a place at the auction, because they will never sell me again on my people. We own this now. Okay wow. I have to own this history. This is where my family came into this state under slave conditions. No I walk out now, I'm free. But when I walk past my block, there's none but young black men and women underneath the overpass I can't give out enough food or water just too many and it's growing and growing and growing so Biden and Harris needs to bring y'all in they can't solve this with just government aid this is more than just government aid yes we're in a moral crisis wow we need to bring we need to bring as many people into the room as possible. Cause this is, this is much bigger than one party or one president a vice president. This is gonna take a whole bunch of y'all and a whole bunch of us. Everybody gotta be in this one.
1: Yes. And um, I know in, in, in Louisiana there with the crises, have your family been affected by the um, storms that have come through?
0: Five named hurricanes and several tropical storms. That you know, when you get to the end of the alphabets and then you use the Greek letters and you get to the end of the Greek letters, what are you supposed to do? Get to the Roman letters? I'm like, well, if we keep this up, I don't know where we're going. It's been tremendous. It's been, it's been heartbreaking. And I often think about 2005 when that terrible, catastrophic storm. Katrina came through, and my family was dispersed to um, eight states and 14 cities. I lost relatives. We lost all our homes and our properties. We had to rebuild, and we rebuilt stronger. During this storm, they seem to have, uh, I, I guess, survived the worst of it. A lot of them uh, went through some damage, but they, they're they building back. I mean, some of them are waiting. You know, it, it's sad. when. You know, my little niece said to me, she said, I got my insurance money. And I said, oh, you did? And she said, yeah, but uh, I, don't, I don't have the check. So she got the insurance money, but she don't have the check. And then she said, that's because there everything is on back order to rebuild her fence or to rebuild her roof. So she got she got the, the insurance money, but not the check. So I said, okay. But that's how it's going. And one of my family members suffered uh, tragically a fire. And we're helping them rebuild. And I wanted to be home because I have an old family. My family, like I said, they've been here over 300 years. And so I like to come home. And uh, I'm one that is accustomed to getting out my pen and paper. And, and I say, what's your problem? And I'm your caseworker. So I come, over to do, I come home to do my casework. I, I prefer to serve my people and their neighbors. And I do as much as I can for as long as I can. And then I'll get back to Washington in a few days.
1: Wow. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and I know we got to let you go because you're um, you got so much you got to do today. But one other thing I want to ask people are asking, how do they close the wealth? How do you think they've closed the wealth gap and this health gap? I mean, we're looking at covid and I know um, Louisiana has been greatly impacted by it. And we're looking at that. We were shocked, you know, in the beginning, when this virus hit in New York, you know, it wasn't really hitting our community or it wasn't broadcast as such. So they, they felt like, oh, wow, we're exempt. And then all of a sudden the table kind of turned when the data came out. Um, what do you think can be done to d- deal with this whole health um, crisis? I think I did not realize America was in a health crisis until about when um, um, President Clinton was president and then Hillary was, you know, sounding alarm about health. And maybe I was young in my 30s or late 20s, early 30s, kind of like, you know, health didn't mean that much, but now being 61, you know, health is like on the top of my list, you know, the whole area of health. How do we deal with this whole health situation, especially in a pandemic?
0: Well, all of these issues tragically are tied together. I mean, let's start with the fact that uh, if you take a look at uh, the U- U.S. economy today, the average African-American has uh, owned less than $6 in the stock market.
1: Wow. Say that again, I mean, say, say that, we say, say that again,
0: Donna. When we're not even uh, obtaining any resources from a growing stock market. Secondly, black home ownership, even before the pandemic, uh, less than half of black people own their own homes, which is important. And one of the reasons, another reason why I wanted to come home is that here in in New Orleans, my property taxes are almost four times higher here than they are in in Washington, D.C., where I also own a home. And so we know that home ownership is part of your wealth creation. When you look at your credit score, and people often look at their credit score and say, oh, it's about you know getting another MasterCard or Visa. No, they, they look at your wealth status. And we have to build back black wealth. Financial literacy. During this pandemic, when we have more than uh, given out close to a trillion dollars in loan guarantees to so-called small businesses, minority-owned and black-owned businesses in particular, have been left behind, in large part because they were not giving resources to black banks. I was placed on the mayor's task force in Washington, D.C. I wanted to be on the task force, and the mayor, uh, uh, thankfully, put me on the uh, uh, equity and vulnerability uh, subcommittee, which I said, fine. I mean, who better than somebody who grew up poor? I always volunteer because I like to I say, I will speak up for poor people. I know how poor people live. I know how they think. And there's nothing wrong with the way black people and poor people think. They think about how to make ends meet, how to spread what little they have and to give as much as they can to others. And so I don't allow people to demonize poor people and to talk about them as if they're not working as hard as the rest of us. And so I said, poor people need just as much as anybody else. They need the PPEs, they need the free testing. And yes, I said it and I said free testing because I noticed everybody else was getting tested. Now here I work for Fox News. I I had four or five COVID tests. I said, wait a minute. Now, if I didn't work for Fox News and I was just a teacher at Georgetown and Howard, how would I get a test? And so I figured out a way, and I talked to the mayor of DC, and we got free testing. Thanks to the president of Howard University, who, my colleague, we got free testing for any district resident who wanted it. And we have free we have tracing. And then the mayor found ways, and we don't have a governor in DC. We got PPEs for those who needed those uh, personal protective Equipment, bus drivers, grocery workers. I got on the phone with Ben Carson. I said, you should make sure that every public housing unit in America, because there's $1.4 billion in the CARES Act, you should make sure everybody in those public housing uh, uh, units have the equipment and the material they need. You know, we have to constantly raise our voices. So, yes, the Biden-Harris administration, we've got to look for public Uh, private partnerships. We have to look for ways to ensure that the schools get back up and running, especially the schools in our neighborhoods. We've got to get people broadband and access to broadband. And no, they cannot afford to pay $115 a month for some cable. They need free broadband. Why is it that I have 5G? Because I live in a certain part of Washington, D.C., and they're putting up 5G poles, But if I cross that bridge and go into Anacostia in Southeast D.C., I get LTE one bar, not five bars. So, again, we have to raise our voices on resources. Republicans are going to, and then some Democrats are going to start talking about, well, we got a deficit. Yes, we've had a deficit now for at least eight plus years, okay? It grew under Obama, and it really grew under Trump. So before we start crying broke or poor, can we at least find the resources to get people back on their feet, to get them back into their jobs, to get them back into training or apprenticeships? Can we get people who live in public housing facilities, the resources that they need to get back to work? And we forget, uh, Archbishop, that during this pandemic, millions of people have dropped out of the workforce. And many of them are now faced with evictions. So we are going to have to advocate and fight for them over the next couple of months as well. So I don't want anybody to sleep through the Biden-Harris administration. This is not a time. This is a time to be woke and to fight and to put and, and to come forward with new ideas. Get out the box. Get out the box. The box keeps us in fear, fear of change, fear of the unknown. And those preachers on the right who preach fear, Beware of them. We have to preach hope because hope in its most powerful sense is how we're going to get out of this. And if we don't think about that, we're going to get stuck and this pandemic is going to bring about even more destruction. Look at China. China economy now is at 9 10%. The virus started in the Wuhan province, and they're back on their feet. They're going to bars and restaurants. And we're about to go back to another lockdown. So something is happening in this country because we don't have the right leadership and the right priorities. And if, unless we have that now, especially now, before this new administration takes place, we're gonna see Black people fall, fall, and not just Black people, but a lot of people fall further behind. And this pandemic, is gonna take a worse toll with this new, they call it mutation. Careful. This one, this one, this one is gonna fly under the radar, but when it hits you, it is gonna knock you. And we have to be very careful. We have to be very careful, but we also have to be very careful because this new mutation, this virus, it is, if you look across the Deep South and you see the death. it's one out of a 1,000 people, but for black people, it's like one out of 500 black people. We better be very careful because it can go to one out of 300 very soon if we don't watch it. Yes.
1: All right, thank you so much. Um, and w- now, will, will you have a key role in this next administration? Because you
0: know, I've always um I've always enjoyed being an outsider because I like to put pressure. I like I, I like to write political columns and I like to speak truth to power. Uh, I told my good friend, Cedric Richmond, who's the congressman here in Louisiana, that I would like to come and sit in the White House with him. But you need somebody who's outside who can uh, help organize those big demonstrations when we have to call upon Congress to, to help the American people. So I like to stay outside. A lot of my friends are going inside, including Susan Rice. I mentioned Cedric Richmond. But I'm familiar with not not only uh, the president. I've known Joe Biden for over 35 years. I've known Kamala Harris for more than uh, two decades. And so I'm very pleased with their inner circle. I know their chiefs of staff. I know everybody. So all I want to do is help them. But I'm going to keep putting pressure on them. They know who I am. They know that I'm going to put pressure on them. Well, but you, get game. well,
1: you know, the word
0: of the Lord. God, te- God didn't give me no 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 small. I, I got a job. I don't want a job. I want to do something for my people. I started off by saying I was born at charity hospital. For me, helping the poor has been my, my life's calling. And helping young people find a seat at the table. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to serve. I'm going to serve. So I have a God wish for me to serve. I will serve. And that's
1: why the Spirit calls you Queen Esther. You're called to the kingdom for such a time as this. And your voice shall be raised in the nation for your people. God bless you. you. Thank you so much. Did y'all not enjoy Donna Brazil? Yes.
0: <laughs> Bishop, I look forward to seeing you and Sister Deborah. And I look forward to coming to, to, uh, to worship with you, to learn so much from you. And thank you for. It's always been a voice of encouragement, a voice of reason, and a voice of hope for all of us. And thank you so much for your leadership.
1: God bless you. And thank you for being who you are. God bless you.
0: To keep in touch with Master Prophet E. Bernard Jordan, go to www.bishopjordan.com and follow him on all social media platforms. To get more information about the Prophecology Conference and or more special events, go to www.zoeministries.com or call 888-831-0434. Thank you and stay blessed.